Hello everyone, this is Daniel. This is Andre. And we are here to talk about people at work. From interesting stories of individuals doing their jobs to how to find and hire the best people for your company. All with a bit of a Romanian accent from a Ruminatica. Let's dive in. First hires are extremely important in setting up the culture and foundation of a startup. Usually founders need to do this by themselves. And if it's the first time they are recruiting, it can be a real challenge in getting it right. That's why we, we invited Bram, co-founder of Evolver, an Amsterdam-based startup that provides the place for engineers and scientists to get access to cutting-edge information about the latest technologies in AI, robotics, aerospace, 3D printing, and others to discuss about the, his experience in recruiting his first employees lessons learned, and how to answer some questions that he might have for Daniel and I. So, Bram, thank you for, for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So, well, we, we just closed a hire that I'm very excited about. So, nice. congratulations. <laughs> I'm doing good. This is number yes. four, five, six. Oh, uh, no, this is number uh, 12. Uh, as in sort of like 12th team member uh, yeah. and then on top of that we've with me and my co-founder uh, around yes yeah and we actually as a as an aside next to that we uh work with a lot of freelance content creators um who we, who we deploy for our customers and so in totally we have right now somewhere between 50 and 60 freelancers mostly text writers um, all with like technical backgrounds who can write technical content. Um, so we also basically constantly hire that. Uh, I was involved closely at the beginning, but now that's actually done by, by team members uh, of ours. But uh, so that's that's also one aspect that's constantly going on in our team in the background, finding uh, freelancers to hire. And when you say um, the other ones are basically full-time employees, right? That there are... Uh... Yeah, yeah. So we have a core team, full-time employees. Um, and then next to that, this network that is more flexible, depending on what projects we get from our customers or what we ourselves want to publish uh, on our platform. But I would say at any given time at this moment, we have somewhere between seven and 10 people, freelancer, uh, yeah, working for us, creating pieces of content. Nice. For us, it was really interesting because I think you're one of the uh, not so many people that uh, we know that we also had a close look at uh, making your first hire as a startup and doing it uh, yourself, which is also a thing uh, that we want to talk about. And we wanted to take a closer look at um, how these first hires were made um how did you decide on what's the most efficient way do you do it yourself or do you outsource it uh, and a bunch of other topics that we want to dive into it um so first question i had was um what were the first hires you made and why did you select uh those ones in particular if you remember yeah 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 um so in our case that that, that was our software team and um that was so okay maybe as a as a very brief history we have as a start a bit of a uh, weird history where we uh started um quite a, a long time ago now 2014 uh 
build a team, build a product, went to market, and late 2018, uh, it was very clear that that wasn't going to fly, and we had to basically scale back and completely restart from scratch, and uh, which also meant that uh, only one person who was with us in 2018 is still with us. Um, and, and so when we're talking about first hires, uh, it's actually both in, in that case, the, the, call it Revolver 1.0, as well as the current Revolver, uh, that we started with the software team um, because we built our, uh, our content platform from scratch ourselves. Uh, me and my co-founder are tech savvy, but not, uh, we don't have the capabilities to build uh, a real scalable, high-performing platform. So software was the first um, that we hired front and back end, well, full stack developers, because you know, if you only have like a one or two person development team, uh, you want to make sure that uh, they can handle both front and back. Um, so we started with that and then, and then we moved to content because that's the other key aspect of our platform is having great content on there. And um, in, in the model that we have, ultimately that content comes from our customers and engineers who publish on our platform. But we also kickstarted that with great content ourselves and we offer our customers help with content creation. So we needed to have someone who was really good at content creation, um, at editing, at, at working with other content creators. So those were the, were the first hires for us. Nice. And what, what I'm curious about is how did you make the decision to hire that first engineer? How was that process for you? Why was this person the best fit for, for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we had cobbled together a process based on reading a lot of what, you know, different things of, of what people say online about how to hire and talking to a bunch of people, uh, friends of mine, uh, other founders, etc. Um, and um, we then adjusted that for our specific situation because if you there's quite a few resources online that for example are written for scale-ups with tons of vc money that need to hire 50 people in in three months right and it's completely different if you're um, a bootstrapping startup who just has gotten the money for one person and uh and you need to get that person right right that's the, that's the only thing that matters so in our case we took a lot of time uh partially because uh it was a time where the the, the job markets was tough so it was hard to find talent but also because i think we were quite strict in what we were looking for mm -hmm. in in our case so we're a content platform for the engineering community and for us um it's really valuable if our team members have a really deep understanding of our users and a deep affinity with what we're building. So um, ultimately we, we settled on a software engineer who, who had experience with building hardware, like who, with, with building physical products. And uh, for us, that's been great because yeah, again, the, what, I, what I just mentioned, it gives the person a level of understanding of what we need to build and a level of care about what we're building that's hard to find if someone comes for example from whatever building something for fashion companies all the time and then landing in a startup like ours and that meant that of course the pool of total people who fit that description 
becomes much, much smaller. We were able to counteract that by saying like, you know, we don't care where you're from. So we just hire globally. Um, so ultimately the pool is still big enough to find someone, but still it meant for us that the hiring took a long, uh, long time. Ultimately how we made the decision, combination of just someone who through the whole process, which included technical trials, uh, conversations, um, just across the board was, was the best fit. And then in, in our case, and I'm very happy we did that, uh, we took quite a leap of faith um, because we hired someone who was just out of school. And we actually, we hired two people at a time. So one person who literally just graduated and one person who had slightly more experience. Um, and so uh, the person who's still with us is this, the person that we hired straight out of school, school and who has grown tremendously and now is, is very senior and uh, is, is sort of like a very founding member of the, of the company now. And that decision was partially also um, fueled by intuition. So just a feeling like this seems to be the right uh, person. Makes sense. So, so what I'm hearing is that at first you thought about what are the skills needed and the interests as well uh, of the person you're going to hire. And uh, then uh, you went and searched for, for this person. And uh, yeah. you didn't really care about how long it will, is going to take, but you wanted to have both skills and, and interests. How did you uh, go about the, the screen process? How did you manage to see if this, the people you, you hired uh, have the skills or not, especially that they were uh, yeah out of, out of school? Yeah, yeah. So it was a combination of, a, a, especially the early hires, they did, I think, probably three conversations with me and then a technical trial. Now, when we hire now, we, we, we've, we've uh, changed that where, where, where I'm slightly less involved. Uh, still two conversations, actually. Um, but, uh, but then I also was the one reviewing the technical trial. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, we, so, so that was kind of the process. Actually, initially, the, technical, the first time we did technical trials, it was sort of like a standard, pretty standard test. Uh, that didn't, that didn't work so well. And then, and then later on, we started making like a custom made test where you actually had to build something that resembled, uh, our platform. Um, first of all, that's much more interesting for people to work on. And it also gives you much more insight because it's pretty easy to score well at, uh, uh, at one of the standard, uh, coding tests, uh, or pretty easy to fail at it. Uh, but actually in being completely different in a real working uh, situation. So I think, uh, yeah, having that and I mean, like, like I said already a bit like, and it's something I, I would have done uh, even more in hindsight. There was also a bit of sort of just using your intuition. Mm. Um, so when we, when, when I first uh, ever started hiring people and, and, and building something, uh, in, in, in the early 2010s, I, I was sort of like, oh, no, you, you should really just look at, you know, what's on, on, on the paper and get bias out of the way. But I think 
that's true in a corporate organization and it might be true in scale up but in a startup your intuition as a founder i think is actually key in uh, in, in in picking out the right people um right. and i think yeah and i think that is because you understand something about the company and the culture and the mission um that uh that, that's very hard to put in a grading matrix mm. and you want to select sort of like a band of people around you who are um who, who, who are special basically because a startup is not for everyone right uh, and it's going to be hard and in the harder times and in the times that are uncertainty you still want people to stick around and uh, be a little bit crazy about the mission and i think you need to develop that intuition as a founder for like is this the kind of person that fits the team me etc and uh um, I, I would have wanted to know that even better in the beginning because I, I, I tried to rely on like, no, this uh, did well on the test, uh, answered all the questions in the interview pretty okay. Uh, but we've made a hire in the past where like later on you realized I could have kind of see this coming that that wasn't the best fit. In hindsight, uh, things are always, makes more sense, is more, much more clear. Um, yeah. There are so many ways that we could take this forward on one hand we're trying to cater to um, people that are getting started and they are founding their own companies bootstrapped uh, ideally and then they are about to start their first hires to see how they can best approach it but also to consider um, people that are candidates and they are thinking to join yeah. an early stage company maybe even being themselves among the first hires um, so in a way, you know, we're trying to balance uh, both of these at the same time in this conversation. Um, one thing that I'm curious that I'm not sure if you mentioned it is were the first hires proactively reached out or sourced by you or someone in the team or were they applicants? In our case, applicants. Um, and I'm thinking if, if anyone in, in our current team was sourced, I'm not 100 sure, but in we we have the situation where we reach a, a pretty decent audience of uh, a pretty big community. Let's let's call it like that. Um, and we've had that for for quite a few years, and quite a few times we we have seen people surfacing from the community. So uh, one of our two initial software hires, the person who's still now with us he reached out to our job ads because he had been using our platform or he had been reading on engineering content that was published on our platform to for a project that he was building on then was like hey this is actually kind of a cool company then saw that we were hiring and then reached out um so um that was not sourced, um, but it was also not completely blank. Someone uh, searching for all the job ads and applying for everything that matches their stack. So, um, and we've had that a few more times where we post in our community like, hey, we need someone new for social media or so and so, and, and someone reached out. Or we've also had actually at least twice, if not more frequently, where we weren't hiring 
but people reached out to say like, hey, I've been part of this community for a long time. We love what you folks do. Can I work for you? Um, actually, in one case, we we had to tell someone no for a year, and I think the person emailed us monthly or bi-monthly. Uh, and after a year, we're like, yes, we finally have a position uh, for you. Um, so 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 that is that is we even better than sourcing is getting people to reach out Absolutely. to you. And, yeah, you're yeah. living the dream in terms of uh, hiring the the first people because we see as recruiter time and time again that uh, the engineers that do the best are the ones that are also driven by the mission of the company and our users. Maybe not just engineers, uh, but uh, any higher, I yeah. would say. Yes. And, so this is this is really cool. And in a way, I think it's also very fortunate the nature of the business that you're in that you have mm. this content platform which gives you a community that you can nurture and then tap into that people know someone that knows someone. And then uh, it's it's not a complete stranger, but someone that at least has some context and interest in, in the business. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, indeed. In hindsight, looking back, knowing what you know now, what were the things that you wish you would have known uh, when you started hiring? I can imagine there are there there must be some struggles. First is that I think of without myself being a, an actual founder is how do I know when is the right time to start outsourcing some parts? Because that also means giving control. And it's such a crucial uh, time when you're two or three people and you want to add another one. Um, but besides, just in general, from your experience, what were the things that you wish you would have known? Um, yeah, well, definitely in a way... I would rephrase what you just said as not when, but how. Because um, like I was not, maybe the first hire I didn't even consider outsourcing just because we just didn't have any budget for it. So it just, the only thing I had was time and, and you know, I could use that. But pretty soon I was like, oh, okay, I would actually love to get help. Uh, but how do I do that? Because uh, the first time that I wanted to get help, I still didn't have budget to like completely let it, you know, someone full time. Um, and then still you have to figure out like, okay, what parts of the process uh, should I get help with? And what, what, what should I get uh, still involved in myself? So I think, and, then, and, and even then it's like, okay, if you've got that figured out, it's still like, what actually do I agree on with the people? Who work with me uh, in the recruiting process? Uh, what, what needs to be delivered? What not? How do we do it? What tools do we use, etc.? So I think that was something. That's something that, that's that's helpful to not have to learn on the fly, but but sort of like uh, yeah, have, have a process ready for that. Um, the other very big thing is that you're always questioning like, what should I pay? And what, well, also what can I pay, but also, okay, I kind of want this person, but what's the, what's the job market for this? And it's like, it's not always easy to get a good understanding of like, okay, if I want this kind of person and I have this budget available, is that even possible? Um, cause you're all, and how always, do you answer that question for yourself? Um, so I have answered it in the past by just looking around like what you know what what are people offering for other jobs so you do sort of like this benchmarking thing and then think like okay 
maybe and and sometimes like oh yeah we are just below the market but maybe we find someone who's excited enough and or you sometimes realize okay we we just have to make sure that we find some money somewhere because we uh we, we just can't afford uh, the market at the moment um and i mean as soon as we start out with with freelance recruiters uh, they, they also of course know a ton about the market that's that's always something that's really really helpful because uh you're not constantly talking to the market where recruiters are so that's always a great source of information how do you, how do you folks get a sense for where the market is that's a good question i notice in uh, most of the startups that i work with they usually have a sense based on their internal benchmark, but indeed they hire someone externally to kind of bring um, uh, like another opinion that is informed in the market. And also very valuable, but slightly not so talked about is what candidates ask for or what's the feedback from the market. So throughout the first screening calls, people usually discuss a salary range at least. And then it's usually very narrow, I guess, uh, between with the 10K difference per year. And then that's pretty much a, a very solid benchmark for that specific role. And then that's feedback directly from the market, which is live, almost up to date versus yeah. some uh, outdated uh, report. But I, I see also a lot of new tools coming up, um, like compensation benchmark tools um, that can be interesting. So, yeah, that's quite a bit of a combination mm -hmm. of factors there yeah and i guess you should then you should after your first uh, say five to ten screening calls update your position on what you think the market is uh, is asking at this point right yes exactly so either if your budget is limited and you see during the conversations that uh, the candidates you're speaking with are asking for more then you need to make a decision to see either you increase the budget or you accept candidates that are a different seniority that you were looking for at, at the beginning. And then like that, you try to, to sync. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing with, with salaries, it's always a sensitive topic, no matter how you put it, because it influences so many other aspects. Like, for example, the set of responsibilities, as he mentioned maybe you need to look at someone more junior or instead of i don't know an engineering manager maybe a tech lead will do the job for now and then that person can grow into a an engineering manager just as an example yeah um coming back to your your journey um i think it's really fascinating how these days this is what i call like hidden gem opportunities where you see an early stage startup Somehow you hear about it via friends or via your community, social network, uh, whatever. And then there are people that proactively find ways to reach out, uh, even though there's no job directly open, to connect with the team, to connect with the founders, and eventually when the timing is right, to land their dream job. However, even though that I see this happening here and there, I think it's such an under-tapped under um approach can you talk more about it in your experience you already mentioned one with that person that was emailing you monthly um yeah. but have you had more like this or is this an isolated case yeah so we we've had more and like the the circumstances uh differ but uh 
multiple times where, for example, um, yeah, we were already in touch with someone and and then we're like, oh, we actually need someone. Could we just ask that person, for example? And that that was then, uh, yeah, someone in the community who we already knew, like, oh, they uh, uh, they're great, they're motivated, they have the right background, they have the right cultural fit. So, so and and the other thing that we've done quite a few times is when someone reached out, but we didn't have like, oh, we don't have like a full position or something, but we could actually use help with someone editing some videos of ours then we then we would have them do that so you work with them you have a relation you in a way can test out the waters you don't necessarily do it to test out the waters you do it also just you need someone and this person seems great um but then once something comes available like oh shit now we need a full-time customer success manager and this person seems actually to be quite a fit for that, even though they've never done customer success, but they seem very um, uh, people-oriented and very structured. And well, let's let's try, right? So we we've had that a couple of times, and we're still doing that. Um, a few months ago, community member from Argentina reached out and said, like, "Hey, um, oh, it, no, that was actually we were hiring a social media manager, and someone reached out and said, like, yeah, I know." I'm not a, I'm not matching the role description because I'm still a student and I've actually never been a social media manager, but I can do quite a lot with video. Can I do something for you? Right. And then we actually, in that case, weren't looking for someone, but this person seemed awesome. And we're like, okay, we'll let the person make a few videos because we want to see if we can get some more activity on our YouTube channel. And this is, I mean, at that point we had a little bit of sort of like, wiggle room in our finances okay let's put a little bit of, of of budget there let's try it's never going to hurt us we're going to either learn something or we're going to get some growth on our youtube channel and in the best case we're actually working with someone who's incredible and yeah you from then on you start working and then three months later the next project pops up where you can you know get that person uh, where you need some hands so we've got quite a few people around us by now we're like if we need uh, someone to help out with something, uh, we can just ask around and those people can grow into hires. And I think actually there was something I was thinking whilst you were asking the question is we probably have reached a point that we should do that even more institutionally, more structurally, um, make sure that we always have a certain amount of people that we, we are doing some freelance projects with, that we're having some talks with, that we more frequently... Uh, talk to community members about their future plans. Because yeah, we've exactly. Seen, sorry for yeah. interrupting. That's exactly what I wanted to ask. Is there something that you do now differently from the beginning when uh, potential or well users were reaching out to you that you're doing differently now, or you are thinking of doing differently? And other founders that are in this very special uh, phase, like you, and people are reaching out to them to want to work for them. Are you doing something? Yeah. I think we're now uh, because we've we've um, had s s some great experiences with it. We are more likely to try to find a way, you know, where where that first person had to email us literally uh, twelve times over the course of a year to get in. We would have now maybe more early said like, okay, we'll just we'll just brainstorm for an evening evening and find if we can just get that person to do something, even if it's super, super small. So I think we're more conscious of the, the, the fact that it can be valuable. So we're more willing to try 
yeah, to just just try and see where it lands than we were earlier on. Yeah, I think that's what we do differently. Other than that, not 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 much. Yeah. And as a on a pragmatic note, are they is this a freelance setup? So are they freelancers and they send invoices, or how do you pay them? Yeah, so uh, so they are freelancers. Also, technically, also in our case, because all of these examples were people uh, abroad. So then it becomes very complicated or extremely yeah. costly. And the only way is to, to work with freelancers uh, then. So, they're, they're, so then they're technically freelancers. Um, or as it really feels like team members, um, there's a difference between, because we still have you know, pe- people abroad who are technically on freelance contracts. But for us, uh, there's a very difference between them and that network of what we call our freelance content creators network, which is more on an ad hoc basis. So our core team, uh, yeah, technically freelancers, uh, but viewed and treated as uh, just from a contractual else. standpoint, a freelancer. Yeah. yeah, I see this happening a lot on Twitter, especially with uh, people in tech business world in the U.S., especially where they are a bit they they have an audience, and then I I see posts where people reach out to them. Hey, I want I'm a recent graduate, I want to help you with um, increasing this or that conversion rate. And it's okay, give it a try. Of course, I think that's a bit more extreme of a case where they're like, yeah, you can do it for free. And then if it works, then we'll start talking partnerships. Uh, Probably because also the volume, like the request they receive is much Mm -hmm. higher. But still, I think in a way, this is uh, for me a great way uh, that I see that is going to happen in the future more and more. Um, because right now, what's the alternative? You literally apply for a job on LinkedIn or whatever job uh, description. And most of the time, I mean, we tried some experiments and it takes, first of all, it takes, uh, let's say you apply to 100 jobs. You might not hear back from 50% of them, which is crazy. Or even more. Or yeah. even more. This is a good case. And then the ones that you hear are probably automated emails that are coming as a rejection a couple of weeks later without much context. Yeah. Because basically you're uh, applying uh, like any other person that is applying that might or might not be qualified. And then um, that's pretty much where it ends. And yeah. the best scenarios, of course, is being referred or um, having someone to introduce you. Or, for example, this kind of approach where you proactively take matters in your hand and say, OK, I'm going to go for it, uh, which has much higher um yield results and an impact afterwards if it works out because the kind of message you send is I'm going to do whatever it takes. I have the right attitude. And then that can be, that kind of grit can be translated in any kind of role, basically. Mm. I also hear a lot of different points that we could discuss. One is that for you, a good case practice is to hire based on the mission that you have and users or people being interested in that. And it sounds like you found value in that. Another point is for users to apply to the products that they are interested in because uh, and, and to have the courage, courage to do so. And another point is what you did to open the applications up to remote work because as a startup, uh, if you're in a competitive market such as the Netherlands, maybe it's hard to, to recruit, um, but opening it up remotely, then it... Uh, it amplifies a lot the the market that uh, that you can recruit from. 
So there are a lot of different points that, that we can take. Any one of them that uh, you mm -hmm. want to discuss in even more depth, Brown? Yes. So what I definitely find, um, what I find weird is, is also to, to your point, Daniel, like the, it seems kind of broken that it's become so easy to apply for a job. Um, I guess for most people, LinkedIn or similar platforms are now sort of where you either post or, or apply for a job. And it's so easy to just hit like, okay, I apply that I think the volume of applicants has become super high. And so that means that you, it's very hard to stand out. And as a company, you also get such an influx. So you also can't review everyone and give like detailed feedback everyone. So it seems to that this whole volume thing actually makes things, creates this weird dynamic. And because of that, I think applicants just indeed apply for 100 jobs because you do get like 80% rejected. To me, it always feels, because I get a lot of these applications and First of all, you have a big percentage who apparently didn't read the job description because their skills or background doesn't match. Or we always put in our job description, send us a message if you're really interested. And only a small amount of people do that. And the people who do send that message, yeah, we, we take extra care with them. Like we look at their resume three times as much as the person who just glanced over that message and just hit quick reply on LinkedIn. And um, it, it, it always surprised me. And maybe that's the only way as a, as someone looking for a job that you just, just can get through just by applying to hundreds. But it blows my mind that um, if, if I would want a job next to just filling in the form on whatever hiring platform the company is using, of course, I would send a, a message to all of the hiring managers or the CEO, whatever, and saying, hey, I just applied. I love your product. I actually have some ideas for it. Uh, can we talk? And uh, if someone does that to us, then you're suddenly in, in, already in the top people that we consider. And um, But it's very hard to find those people because even I think the good people have become so bumped out by this whole um, fact Not that you did yeah yeah by the numbers game that it's become yeah does it make sense or is it just a feeling from my end no it does make sense and i think there's a lot of implications at play here on, on one hand is what happens in the market of course if you get laid off um you're might be more desperate than usual so you just want to find a job and then it's one click apply button available so you just hear also from friends that it's a numbers game so you just want to maximize your chances um, which is kind of, you know, counterintuitive to how what actually works in the end. Uh, but you see all these posts or, or also on Reddit, conversion rates, how long it took them and then the jobs and then what they would do differently, which is to double down on something that they really like, like a company or a, or a position. But they only have this in hindsight. So one hand is market reality that also influences quite a lot, I think. And the other thing is also what you learn about it, because it's like, um, nutrition, for example, we all know that we have to eat, but a few of us really know like proper nutrition techniques and everything. Same with recruitment. Everyone can do it. Everyone can recruit or everyone can apply for a job. 
but you pretty much pick your knowledge from what you read online and from your friends, basically. Um, and that also influences quite a lot. Um, if they had a good experience one way or another, they can influence it uh, somehow. I'm curious when you open remotely, that all obviously has a lot of advantages, but also risks. So how? And the biggest one that I hear a lot, people that are afraid or, or founders that are afraid to open fully remote, um, you you how do you protect your culture basically uh so in your yeah. case what was your thinking process when you decided to do that um yeah so so we've always been open to remote and from pretty early on worked with remote people and why how how come you were remote from from the beginning um, i think i think we just thought like we want the best people and uh, it can't be true that all the best people are in Amsterdam. Right? <laughs> Let's be honest. So, really? No? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, so I think that, and, and it also had to do with, um, we, so in 2014, when we, when we started, we were in Amsterdam, but after, a month or two, we got into an accelerator program in London and for, for three months. So me and my co-founder moved there. And so, so we had at that point just hired two people in Amsterdam who wanted to stay here. So we, and we were like, okay, we're going to London and we'll see you in three months. That eventually, like our stay in London got extended to two years. So um, I think kind of like the circumstances gave us that remote experience pretty early on and we were kind of fine with it and then from there on the next person that came knocking that was also someone who came inbound was in the uk but quite far out of london so we started with that person remote later on that person actually moved to london but still so i think it was for us kind of natural so it's never been to us like oh are we going remote or not um it kind of evolved and but the only thing that was always there from the beginning is that, that we very clearly realized good people are everywhere. And it, like, I don't care uh, w what your background is, uh, where, exactly where you're from, uh, as long as we can make like practically work, right? If you're on the right time zone, if you're in a place where the internet is fast, um, then, uh, then we can make it work. So we've always kind of like... Uh, uh, naturally grown into it. And I think having this global community also kind of is a forcing function there. But did you experience any downsides to this and any tips? Yeah, I think there's, so, so I think nothing beats uh, having uh, significant periods where you have all the people in the same space and where you have these unscheduled conversations and these conversations that can trail off and that are not like oh we're staring at the screen and we're ready to jump on the next one um that and the 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 the, the level of sort of like bonding that you have with a person goes up when you spend time in the same space but you don't need to have that all the time so you can kind of work around it um oh and the other thing is like I just really like to have regularly like people around, right? So, so we had, um, that was two weeks ago, someone who's normally working from Berlin and someone who's normally working from Athens come to Amsterdam and work from our headquarters for a week. 
And those weeks are the most fun, right? Just having the team in a single space, seeing people getting stuff done very quickly. And you don't have that when everyone's remote. So that's the big downside. Um, and you have to make up for it with some travel. And um, yeah, I think the the other thing is that you have to communicate much more because I noticed like we have one person now from our team next to me and my co-founder who's in Amsterdam soon too. Um, and the conversations that we have at lunch, which trail off in which I can tell a bit of a, you know, a story that we had with an investor five years ago. And I don't know how we came to the story in the lunch break, but certainly we are at it. And now that person understands something about our company and about uh, how we think about stuff that uh, he or she wouldn't have understood if I never had shared that sort of like funny, weird inside story, but it also transferred something about our approach to and things and our values. And those conversations just happen more when you have these moments like lunches, like a quick walk or whatever, after work, you, you walk out of the office together. You don't have that online. So you need to kind of just get people over and occasionally try to force it into an online conversation. But I don't believe as much in that. I just believe in just, okay, bring people over and talk with them here. You can't force serendipity like that, like a coffee chat, water cooler conversation that just, you know, hey, how's it going? Good. How about you? If you try to book this kind of meetings, which actually happened during Corona, uh, it's just it feels forced and it's just not going to yeah. happen. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we also like even, I mean, the thing is for us as freelancers, we have the option to usually work with uh, customers at their office. And at the beginning, it was a luxury to be like, no, we're going to do it fully remote. But now I see uh, a lot, I get a lot of energy and, and it's nice to, to go to the office. Of course, a lot of people that I also talk to like to have the option to go to the office and they will use it, but not to be forced. Even though it's the same number of days, that they go in the end, but the idea that you have to versus that you want to makes a massive difference. Um, yeah. So, yeah, good good practice there, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Anything that you will want to ask us, Bram, that you're going through right now and, and you have questions about? Well, one thing I, I was thinking is... Um... Because, I mean, you know, we've been talking now all the time about, like, you know, uh, like my, my experience and point of view, but it's just, you know, you just one dude. Um, you worked with a lot of companies, a lot of uh, founders, CEOs. Like, who uh, were you most impressed by uh, in, in their ability to hire talent? Like, who, who did you see as, sort of like, being the best at hiring? And, and why is that? Great question. I can go first. For me, it was um, a client that I used to work with for close to two years, I think. Um, Aidens is their name. I can actually say it. Um, and what they did really well is they structured the hiring process. So first of all, they also had a high bar and they realized quickly that not like the best developers are not all in Amsterdam. They'll probably be global. So they, they realized they need to become a remote first company, which they did. Um, 
which was a great decision, if you ask me in hindsight. And also they became fully transparent with uh, salary ranges, what they can afford, which of course meant aligning everyone internally. And then they put together a really um, comprehensive hiring process with proper, with like a playbook where everyone is aligned on what are we looking for? What are the competencies? How are we going to assess them at each stage? Who needs to be at each stage? What do we do? How do we evaluate everything? To a point where um, my role was more of a coordination and making sure that things are happening as they should versus heavy lifting as uh, before. And it worked out wonders. I think reduced time to hire, cost per hire, candidate experience was through the roof. People were delighted, even though they were rejected. Um, and they were delighted with the experience. They said, like, this was the best experience that I had in terms of recruitment. So that's for me uh, uh, a really good one that I that I went through. And at what, what stage was the company that they went through that transition and got it all set up? I think it had to do with the fact that they hired their first CTO. So uh, they were around 70 to 90 people around this range. FDs, basically. Yeah. yeah. So kind of towards a scale up already. But often, I don't know how it was in your experience. I guess you're going to share. But uh, in my experience, I noticed it only takes one person either a director of engineering or a CTO or a founder to say, okay, we're going to do this right. And then everyone else follows. And then from that point onwards, that's the bar. That's where we're using and that's where we're going to build on. Yeah. And not necessarily a company-wide. I mean, of course, we're talking startups and scale-ups, right? We're not talking uh, massive uh, companies, but that's usually what it takes. One person determined to do it right with the right influence. And then from there, it just keeps building on it. Yeah. For me, I will not name names. However, what I've seen is that the companies that I work for where everything went really well were the companies that were self-aware of where they were and what were their strong points. And they led with that. I work with larger companies that had really good benefits and really good employer branding. So they were self-aware about this and then they wanted really the best engineers. So then they focused a lot on uh, attracting the best and uh, keeping them. Um, or I work with startups that were self-aware that um, they are competing with other companies. So then they need to be faster and they need to make all the touch points for the candidate really interesting for, for the candidate. And not only sell the salary, but also the benefits, but also the mission, vision, uh, and to stick with, with that. And they planned ahead a lot. It wasn't just like, I need a role now. They thought about uh, hiring like really long term in, in the future. And when these things happened, I, I saw success. And reversely, when these things didn't happen, when companies thought that they were Google and they were not, or they thought that they can compete with anybody and they couldn't, that's when things didn't go as, as planned. Yeah, yeah. and it's, when you say then uh, uh, this becomes a success, is success then um, uh, defined by, indeed you mentioned speed of hiring, uh, Daniel, candidates experience, uh, or is it measured by like, uh, like retention of, 
like how, yeah how do you do that yeah it, it depends also for them and where they are and what's important for bigger companies it's important hiring at scale and then that's success and keeping those uh yeah it, again it goes to self-awareness and yeah. usually it's a combination of factors mm -hmm. um because hr cares about cost per hire yes. while the, the team itself um cares about candidate experience cares about retention quality. quality and so on so it's multiple at play uh, one thing i also wanted to add and by the way nice uh <laughs> politically smooth uh <laughs> answer no it wasn't but, but no, i'm uh, just kidding of ahead, course yeah. but I, I wanted to answer also the mission of the company matters way more than people expect um if you have a strong mission that does good uh in the world and, and benefits and helps somehow the world people resonate with that a lot and you might have a chance to and you probably because you guys have a really uh strong mission as well so you probably experienced this also um people might be willing to take pay cuts just to work for something that adds meaning to their life because they've done the money they they have you know went for it they got it and they realized that's not it so in the end of the day they just want a bit more meaning to their life and companies that know how to articulate that and they live their purpose um have a great uh start already yeah yeah no i agree with that and i think it's um i think it's also a thing of of our generation and and, uh, and probably also uh the, the the newer upcoming generations um yeah where money is no longer the the most important thing like people realize like the world is going to shit. uh so we better like uh do something that at least makes a positive contribution uh instead of just only caring about our paycheck at the end of the day and i think uh yeah as a, as a startup you generally well a lot of startups have an exciting mission and at least if, if you do i think doing it for the right reasons as, as a founder um and you need to leverage that that's 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 one of the few leverage points you have over salaries and benefit packages and stability that corporates uh, can offer. And learning experience as well. I see this all the time that people come to a startup to find a way for a career progression or to learn and, and uh, join different verticals in their uh, career path. And then it's always like, well, we, we don't have something predefined, which is good news because then you can craft your own uh, journey or um, it's kind of a disadvantage because they're like, oh, so then there's no commitment or what I can do. So people are like, I don't like ambiguity, but people that can craft their own path, they can go a long way uh, in a startup, which is not the case in a corporate, of course, because that's very predefined and it's hard to change so much. Yeah, indeed. That's pretty much it, I guess. Uh, unless you guys want to add anything else, I think that was really good. So yeah, um, thank you a lot for talking with us about your experience and uh, what goes through your mind uh, these days about uh, hiring. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been uh, been a fun conversation, and it feels like uh, we could talk for hours about this topic. Probably, and there there can be a part two as well. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that's that's something that we should definitely look into. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, okay. Ram, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.